Welcome to This Week in Astrology. This is episode number 480 for the second half of October 2018. This Week in Astrology is the free podcast that deepens your astrological wisdom. We always start with a forecast and regularly include other special features. Make This Week in Astrology a regular part of your astrological education. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Benjamin Bernstein, broadcasting from the virtual location of thisweekinastrology.com and the physical location of Asheville, North Carolina. To get to a specific part of the show, including the forecast for a particular date, check out the index at the very end of this MP3. You can also see this index in writing at thisweekinastrology.blogspot.com. We'll begin, as always, with the half-month astrology forecast, get on to a couple of announcements, and then our feature, part two of our interview with Ren Butler on his book, The Archetypal Universe, Astrological Patterns in Human Culture, Thought, Emotions, and Dreams. So now, let's get on to the forecast. Relationship healing is a major astrological opportunity during the second half of October. It's highlighted by our two main events, a Taurus full moon and a rare mirror image double yod. We also have a powerful Pluto series square and much more. What's old as we come into the second half of October, we've got a waxing moon. Venus is retrograde through November 16th, and we also have slower planets retrograde, Neptune through November 24th, Chiron through December 8th, and Uranus through January 6th. We also have two continuing aspect patterns, a Thor's hammer and a mystic rectangle. Let's now move on to our forecasts for the individual days of this forecast period. On Wednesday, October 17th, what adjustments are you and your partner willing to make to heal an important, committed partnership? If you're both willing, a yod with the Sun, Juno, and Chiron is supporting you. It starts today on October 17th, peaks on the 22nd, and ends on the 27th. The four-step nonviolent communication process is a great tool for working through interpersonal challenges. You can just Google four-step nonviolent communication process to learn more about that. This aspect also supports you if you're providing healing or mentoring in this context. Also, on Wednesday, October 17th, relationship healing is also supported by a Pluto series square. Pluto, 19 Capricorn, Ceres, 19 Libra. This hard aspect in orb through November 9th is also great for all kinds of shadow work as well as wealth enhancement. On Friday, October 19th, how would you feel if you got angry and sprayed someone with verbal machine gun fire only to discover that your rage was based on false information? That would be a low side potential of today's two Mercury aspects, a Mercury-Neptune trine, Mercury-14 Scorpio, Neptune-14 Pisces, and a Mercury-Mars square, Mercury-15 Scorpio, Mars-15 Aquarius. Call in this scenario instead. Your mind receives a constant flow of accurate divine information, and you take immediate action on your insights. On Saturday, October 20th, creative juju and relationship transformation are both magically energized by a Venus-Pluto quintile. Venus 7 Scorpio, Pluto 19 Capricorn. This fairy dust aspect also supports financial inspiration. 
on Monday, October 22nd, that Yod, featuring the Sun, Juno, and Chiron that started on October 17th, peaks today on the 22nd and ends on the 27th. Also, today's quincunx between the Sun and Chiron, Sun 29 Libra, Chiron 29 Pisces, is part of this Yod. Also, on Monday, October 22nd, it's a great day for a mental deep dive with Mercury sextile Pluto. Mercury 19 Scorpio, Pluto 19 Capricorn. This aspect can also help you communicate persuasively. On Tuesday, October 23rd, the Sun enters Scorpio today at 7.22 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. For the next month, you can more easily embrace transformation and do effective shadow work. Be mindful about how you merge your resources and energy with others, both personally and professionally. Other themes that can come to prominence with the Sun in Scorpio include sacred sexuality and occult practices, as well as taxes, insurance, and inheritance. Look at what wealth means to you, it isn't just money, and observe whether your use of power is more about dominance or sharing. Also, on Tuesday, October 23rd, are you putting on a false face when you interact with others or letting your true self shine forth no matter what? With the sun opposing Uranus, sun, one degree Scorpio, Uranus, one degree Taurus, it's a great time to be mindful of this. This aspect also supports following your gut feelings and serving others using the special talents you most love to use. On Wednesday, October 24th, October's full moon aligns today, October 24th, at 12.45 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. That's at one degree, 13 minutes Taurus. Any Taurus full moon is a great time to release or adjust matters relating to money, possessions, and self-esteem. Changes in how you work with sensuality, nature time, and just being are also supported. This full moon's aspects are dominated by a powerful grand cross. Uranus is tightly conjunct the moon, and Venus makes a strong opposition. And the luminaries, that's the sun and moon, make an extremely tight square to the lunar nodes. The tight Uranus-Moon conjunction encourages you to follow your intuitive flashes as you work with this full moon's themes. Feel free to act quickly, even radically, if doing so serves highest good. Don't let discouragement or disapproval from others stop you if you're following your true north. This full moon also encourages you to evaluate your important relationships. Is a given relationship keeping you stuck in the mud or cheerleading your personal evolution. When challenge arises, are both of you willing to take full responsibility for your own emotions? And are you each willing to do the challenging individual shadow work needed to heal your old emotional wounds, which will inevitably be triggered by any meaningful personal connection? My healing invocation can help with your individual shadow work, while the four-part nonviolent communication process can help you and your partner work through your issues together. To get to my healing invocation, go to astroshaman.com. The last word on the menu bar is resources. And first item down says heal and awaken invocations. You'll find the healing invocation on the page that you click to there. Going on with the full moon forecast. If you're artistically inclined, this full moon's Venus-Uranus opposition can electrify you with new creative inspiration. This setup also encourages responsible, outside-the-box thinking that could put your finances on a new and better course. 
This grand cross is completed by the lunar nodes, which square everything else. This raises matters to an entirely new level, asking if everything discussed so far aligns with your life purpose. If not, can you transform it so it is, or release it if it isn't? The south node is in Aquarius, and the north node's in Leo. This suggests taking your special gifts, the things you're especially good at and love to do, and sharing them with the world. Ideally, you wouldn't do this just to inflate your ego with applause and acclaim. You would do it because people have to be aware of you or the service you're offering to benefit from it. Individual Aspects A trine from Saturn supports this full moon's endeavors with maturity, endurance, and good time management. And semi-sextiles from Chiron and Juno reiterate the theme of relationship healing, specifically in the realm of committed partnership. This full moon Sabian symbol is an electrical storm illuminates the heavens and the forests. In the context of this full moon, the electrical storm could reference Uranus, the planet associated with electricity and lightning. This could describe the charged energy you may feel from others when you shake up the status quo by coming into alignment with your inner guidance. Spiritually, forests could refer to the mystical tree of life which bridges heaven and earth. The electrical storm could correspond with kundalini, the electric current that rises from the base of the spine to the top of the head during spiritual awakening. Add in Uranus, awakening, in Taurus, grounded. And this Sabian symbol could be a powerful metaphor for embodied awakening. My free, simple, embodied awakening invocation has helped thousands of people attain this exquisite state quickly and easily. And to get to that, uh, same path I gave you a moment ago for the healing invocation, astroshaman.com. Last word on the menu bar is resources. First item down, invocations for healing and awakening. Click that, and the very first post on the page you come to with the Blue Angel is all about how to do that process. Also, on Wednesday, October 24th, relationship transformation receives dynamic but stable support thanks to a Venus-Saturn sextile. Venus for Scorpio, Saturn for Capricorn. This aspect also supports the thoughtfully considered transformation of your finances and creative expression. On Thursday, October 25th, healing in committed partnerships is powerfully supported for over a month by a yod featuring Venus, Juno, and Chiron. This finger of God aspect pattern begins today on October 25th and peaks twice on November 3rd and November 23rd before ending on November 28th. The unusually long duration and double peak are due to retrograde Venus stationing direct during the yod. For most people, this yod will be most useful in the context of romantic partnership, but healing within creative partnerships is also strongly supported. This yod also gives energy to mentoring, especially in the arts. This yod is an integral part of the mirror image double yod that we'll be describing in a moment on October 29th, but since this Venus-Juno-Chiron yod lasts two weeks longer than that more complex aspect pattern, it felt important to give it its own interpretation here. On Friday, October 26th, positive transformation in relationships, creativity, and finance are energized by a Sun-Venus conjunction at 3 degrees Scorpio. This conjunction can also ignite a passionate love of the creative process, but be wary of others using their beauty 
charm or sexuality to take advantage of you. Also, on Friday, October 26, it's a great time to give practical, selfless support to a worthy cause with Neptune sextile Vesta. Neptune, 14 Pisces, Vesta, 14 Capricorn. And finally, on Friday, October 26th, your ability to take immediate action on your intuitive flashes is magically accentuated by a Mars-Uranus quintile. Mars, 18 Aquarius, Uranus, 0 degrees Taurus. Inspiration may be especially strong in the areas of leadership, sexuality, and athletics. On Saturday, October 27th, steady, long-lasting energy, especially in areas such as personal transformation work, occult practices, and wealth building, is radiated by a Sun-Saturn sextile. Sun, 5 Scorpio, Saturn, 5 Capricorn. On Sunday, October 28th, committed partnership is powerfully energized by a T-square featuring Mars, Juno, and Jupiter. It begins today on October 20th, peaks on November 13th, and ends on November 22nd. This hard aspect pattern can powerfully stir up any unresolved issues in the relationship, but it will only do so because it's eager to shower you with its life-affirming gifts. These include abundant joy, celebration, and enthusiasm. If a committed partnership is sexual, this is a great time to explore new ways of pleasuring each other. If you're willing to do a little shadow work on the front end, this T-square can catapult your relationship to a whole new level of wonderful. On Monday, October 29th, one of 2018's most unusual and visually striking aspect patterns begins today, a mirror image double yod containing seven planets. If you want to see it, it's on my blog at astroshaman.com. The only personal planet is Venus. There are three asteroid goddesses, Ceres, Juno, and Pallas, and three slower planets, Jupiter, Chiron, and Uranus. It starts today on October 29th, peaks on November 6th, and ends on November 14th. Such a heavily populated aspect pattern has many possible interpretations, but relationship is front and center. As it turns out, that double-yawed peak with Venus, Juno, and Chiron that I interpreted for October 25th which is part of this double yod, strongly colors the interpretation of this larger aspect pattern. Healing in committed partnerships, be they romantic or creative, is also a central theme here. But with Ceres now conjunct Venus, there's a new invitation to observe how your relationships affect your self-esteem and finances. The other yod in this pattern contains Pallas, Jupiter, and Uranus. This contributes a whole new set of themes, including assertiveness, strategy, and passion. It adds sizzling electricity and the possibility of sudden breakthroughs. Putting it all together, the healing of committed partnerships can become energized and inspired. If everyone involved gives it their best effort, this could happen with surprising speed. I once again recommend the four-part nonviolent communication process for the interpersonal work and my free healing invocation for the shadow work each partner will need to do within themselves. And I've already told you how to find those articles. Finally, on Monday, October 29th, Mercury makes two aspects today. A Mercury-Jupiter conjunction at 28 Scorpio can help your mind range broad and deep. 
just be careful to avoid intellectual power trips or self-righteously imposing your opinions on others. A Mercury-Chiron trine, Mercury, 29 Scorpio, Chiron, 29 Pisces, supports a mental focus on healing, transformation, and mentoring. Make that amazing life you've been dreaming about a daily reality with support from Astroshamanic Life Coaching. My unique combination of helping modalities, refined through more than 7,000 life-transforming Astroshaman client sessions, can help you thrive in every area of your life. And my unusual approach could help you do this faster than you might have thought possible, satisfaction guaranteed. Learn more by going to astroshaman.com under services, Life Coaching is the third service down. On Tuesday, October 30th, you can be blessed with fresh inspiration regarding personal transformation, healing, or sacred sex with the Sun Quintile Pluto, Sun 7 Scorpio, Pluto 19 Capricorn. You could also receive new insights regarding occult practices, shared resources, or wealth enhancement. On Wednesday, October 31st, Powerful breakthroughs in relationship, creativity, and finance are empowered by a Venus-Uranus opposition. Venus, zero Scorpio. Uranus, zero Taurus. Also, on Wednesday, October 31st, the mind of the genius is a legitimate interpretation of a Mercury-Uranus quincunx. Mercury, zero Sagittarius. Uranus, zero Taurus. Today, we think of a genius as a super-intelligent person, but in ancient times, a genius was thought to be an inspiring spirit who gifted a person with a brilliant idea. So having the mind of the genius has less to do with your native intelligence and more to do with how receptive you are to divine inspiration. If you're interested, practicing my embodied awakening invocation, I've told you how to get to that already, can help you stay more consistently open to the unending genius of your higher self. Looking ahead to our next podcast for the first half of November, wow, what a lineup. Jupiter will be changing signs going into Sagittarius. Jupiter will also be aspecting Uranus and Chiron. That's uh, some major stuff going on with slower planets. Uranus will be retrograding back into Aries, and it'll be opposing Ceres. Pluto will conjoin Vesta. We've also got a lot of action on the asteroid goddess Pallas Athena. She's getting aspects from Chiron, Jupiter, and Uranus. Juno, the goddess of committed partnership, also receiving aspects from Jupiter and Chiron. And we're going to have a new moon in Scorpio. So a lot of uh, slower planet action next time. On top of that, lots of peaking aspect patterns. That yod with Venus, Juno, and Chiron peaks, as does a mystic rectangle that started back on October 15th. The T-square I mentioned with Mars, Juno, and Jupiter, that mirror image double yod is peaking first half of November, plus two additional T-squares are starting in the first half of November, so a lot of that kind of action as well. So, wow, so much to talk about, and as always, I'll be here giving you the best use of all of these astrological energies. I hope you'll join me on the next This Week in Astrology. You can hear my forecast on This Week in Astrology, but would you also like to get a free, concise version in writing? How about having it conveniently pop into your inbox? And while we're at it, how about occasional bonus articles on astrology, along with simple, powerful healing and awakening techniques? That's what you get with AstroShaman's free email newsletter. To subscribe, go to astroshaman.com. You'll see the newsletter sign-up form at the top of the sidebar. 
And if you like calculating your own astrology charts, why not use the world's leading Windows astrology software and get it for the lowest price available? Astroshaman is an authorized dealer for SolarFire Gold, which also runs on Max running Windows and recent Windows tablets. To learn more or place your order, visit astroshaman.com. From there, click on Products in the menu bar and choose SolarFire Software from the drop-down menu. A free forecast newsletter and the best available price on SolarFire Gold. Two great reasons to visit astroshaman.com right now. I have a couple of quick announcements for you. I'm delighted that this podcast has just received a significant honor. Here's part of an email I just received from Anuj Agarwal, founder of Feedspot. He wrote, I would like to personally congratulate you as This Week in Astrology has been selected by our panelists as one of the top 10 astrology podcasts on the web. I personally give you a high five and want to thank you for your contribution to this world. This is the most comprehensive list of the top 10 astrology podcasts on the internet, and I'm honored to have you as part of this. That's the end of his quote. Many thanks to you, all of my devoted listeners over the last 13 years and 480 episodes who helped to make this possible. I'm deeply grateful to receive this recognition. If you're going to be in the Asheville, North Carolina area around Friday, November 16th, mark your calendar. That's the day I'll be giving my 2019 forecast lecture for the Asheville Friends of Astrology at 7 p.m. in the Earth Fair Westgate Community Room. Full details will be online soon at astroshaman.com. Also, in the Asheville area, every third Tuesday, we do a shamanic awakening meetup at my home, and information on that is in the practical spirituality section. And that's all the announcements. Next, we have part two of our interview with Ren Butler regarding his book, The Archetypal Universe, Astrological Patterns in Human Culture, Thought, Emotion, and Dreams. If you have not already listened to part one of this interview, which is on episode 479 for the first half of October 2018, I strongly advise you to listen to that first. We pick up right where we left off, and it could be a little disorienting to jump right into the middle. On that episode, his interview begins at 26 minutes, 22 seconds. So we're going to jump right into where he's about to begin reading from his book on his description of a Mars-Uranus planetary combination. So we'll pick up right where we left off. So Mars-Uranus. So principles, dynamic urges toward freedom and independence, determined cravings for thrills and excitement, sudden breakthroughs and rushes of energy, electric yang enthusiasm. And then on the more problematic side, tendencies toward excessive self-will, reckless, reckless courage and defiance, impulsive rash actions, flashes of anger. And then I elaborate on these meanings in the character and themes section. So decisive courage and willpower, electric yang enthusiasm, a flashy and swashbuckling style, dynamic urges toward freedom and independence. And then a great quote from Walt Whitman, Mars Trine Uranus, I sound my barbaric yelp over the roofs of the world. A strong craving for thrills and excitement of adventure and speed, eagerness for life, carpe diem, say, seize the day. Experiments successful after determined effort, mechanical skills, impulses to fly or rise above. Feelings of erotic emancipation and zeal, hot-blooded passion and excitement, 
The mad naked summer night is a quote. The rush, the orgasm, transcendence through sexuality, sudden eruptions of energy, releases of anger, active rebellion against the inner tyrant superego. In holotropic sessions, sequences of yelling, ripping, cutting, tearing, electric madness, liberation through aggression, angry birth. And then uh, the shadow qualities, tendencies toward excessive self-will, contention and obstinacy, irritability and impatience, desires for sudden change, sporadic and unfocused output. And a quote from Stephen Leacock, born with Mars opposition Uranus, Lord Ronald said nothing. He flung himself from the room, flung himself upon his horse, and rode madly off in all directions. And then from Drew Carey, Mars at the Uranus-Neptune midpoint. I'm not a good lover, but at least I'm fast. <laughs> <laughs> and then continue uh, reckless audacity and courage high flying contempt for the mediocre attraction to danger habitual lack of moderation a defiance of all things all limits to expression hot-headed rebellion identification with outlaws boiling volatility flashes of anger sudden confrontations impulsive rash, rash actions and then a, a funny quote from Gene Kerr with Uranus at the Mars-Jupiter midpoint. If you can keep your head when all about are losing theirs, it's just possible you haven't grasped the situation. <laughs> <laughs> the ideals of martial glamour, the knight in shining armor, the urge to, quote, shed blood for various ideals. And that was a discovery of Rick Tarnas that, that all the... Uh, 20th century revolutionaries, mostly Marxists, who espouse shedding blood uh, in the name of revolutionary uh, change, had Mars-Uranus alignment. So I've got that in the shadow section. I, I don't uh, subscribe to that myself. Right. And then there's a nature and the arts. So with nature, I was just looking at uh, kind of a symbolic connections you know what what was thematically similar in nature you know so untouchable hunters such as birds of prey sudden eruptions of fire flashes of lightning again this is the mars uranus chapter and then in the arts classic lead guitar you know i'm going to be exploring this in my class in the mars uranus section but many of the classic lead guitar players have that and it's this soaring yang electrical sort of fierce uh, eruption that is connected with the classic lead guitar and then the anti-authority ethic in dada and then in cinema Themes of elite fighters and hunters, heroes and knights, military strikes and the sudden shedding of blood, high-speed chases, flying and daring escapes, physical or screwball type of comedy, uh, wild sex, actors who resonate with swashbuckling, flashy, hotshot, daredevil, rebel, outlaw, freedom-fighting, hot-headed and volatile characters. And then I had a, another section on archetypes and spirituality. And again, this was just, you know, mythological figures in world mythology who seem to embody some of the major Mars Uranus themes. 
So Artemis Diana, you know, the huntress, the independent uh, uh, feminine hero. Atalanta, who was uh, the fastest runner in Greek mythology. Robin Hood, Hu Yi. Heroic feats and quests such as slaying the dragon or killing the tyrant. The warrior hero embodied as Arjuna, Rama, Durga, David, Theseus, Perseus, Heracles, St. George, Tristan, Siegfried, the phallic hero, transcendent breakthrough speed. That's a quote from Rick Tarnas. Uh, he, he, he was very well uh, familiar with the quality of Marjoranus, and he had experienced that in sessions. Um, unilateral transcendence of conflict, the reckless self-will of Icarus. And then I, I, uh, I collected about 920 dreams, Benjamin, for this project. Now, some of them were mine, and there were a few people that supplied many dreams, and there were about 21 more people who supplied some dreams. There are several or a few. And I correlated all of them with the person's transits and also the world transits because I found that world transits, in other words, Right now, there's a Jupiter trine Neptune world transit. Everyone has that. World transits are just as important to us as our personal transits. So everyone has two sets of transits at any given time. And half of those we are sharing with everyone else. Those are the world transits. And these things affect everybody. And they seem to be equally important as our personal transits. So uh, these are some of the themes that I observed in the Mars-Uranus uh, uh, you know, uh, transits, during those transits. Dream images and themes. At these times, people often dream of fast and exciting martial activities such as skiing or racing, intrepid raids of elite commandos and fighter pilots, fervent religious crusades, or knights engaged in dashing swordplay. Scenes of daring escape are also common. You can see the BPM-4 Uranus connection there that Rick mentions, this sort of image of escaping. As dreamers jump over obstacles to break away from pursuers, children flee a hospital scheme for blood, initiates exit a dangerous cult, or outlaws skedaddle hastily out of town. Many of these sequences include fast chases because Mars and Uranus are really connected with speed. Uh, and when Pluto is involved, alarming speed. So that would be triple, uh, like a triad. People can dream of flashy, hot muscle cars or convertibles zooming up the road toward them. These various scenes mirror the memory of liberation from the clutches of the confining birth canal as dreamers access the Uranian archetype of freedom and rebirth, Groff's BPM-4, combined with martial elements of speed, anger, violence, and shedding of blood, as all of which uh, Tarnas recognized. Scenes of flying and gliding, which are symbols of spiritual transcendence, are also very common in Mars-Uranus dreams. They, those dreams represent spiritual transcendence because in flying dreams, we're not bound by gravity anymore. We've left the earthly plane. We are in the realm of freedom. We can go up. You know, We are kind of untouchable. And these are connected with feelings of exhilaration in everyday life, often the next day after the dream or two days later. 
Exultant dreamers can plunge off embankments and miraculously fly, wing their way through portals, or soar above the ground with a triumphant feeling, using the angles of their hands to catch the energy and lift them up. They may glide effortlessly while hearing the words, learning how to do this will transform your life. When Mars-Uranus transits are combined with Saturn, dreamers can fly, but only by flapping their arms with a great amount of effort to stay aloft. Hmm. Yeah, I was astounded to see that. I, I had two instances of, of that. Wow. Um, you know, not a huge sample, but in both cases, it was Mars-Saturn-Uranus triple uh, alignment. Like all three of those planets were interacting with each other. Wow. Other scenes include flustered, out-of-control characters, agitated animals running around a loop, or people racing in circles. Circles being Jungian symbols of psychological wholeness. We talked about squares or circles. In one of these archetypes' highest forms, dreamers may enjoy an explosive losing of their heads, which represents transcendence of ego control. So, you don't want to lose your head when you're driving in traffic. Um, I, everyone swears at people turning left in front of them, I think, but, but um, mostly we have to keep it together. But in dreams and in holotropic states, you, you want to lose your head. And you want to explode open. And then uh, dream figures may revel in amazing athletic talents as they perform rolling backflips and somersaults, swing on ropes, score goals, sprint quickly, or engage in fast raging sex. The number four, which is associated with Uranus and the rebirth archetype, also tends to be merged with martial symbols such as 22 caliber rifles. 22 adds up to the number four. Now this this is standard kind of dream interpretation. You know, the numbers mean something. And Jung knew that the number four was connected with feelings of rebirth. People have reached a kind of a plateau or a threshold in the individuation process. They, they'll dream of four of something. And what I saw consistently was, was when the number four appears, the, whatever it's four of will be will be um, sort of reflected in the other archetypes combined with Uranus. So Uranus and BPM4 and the number four are all connected. So we know this at the outset. But when there's four, you know, four rifles or four young zealots with swords in hand, that's really interesting because it could have been four apples or it could have been four houses or whatever. But because it was a Mars uranus transit the psyche chooses a martial symbol such as uh, the, the rifles or the the zealots with swords in hand um or four four people reaching the center of a circle with a kind of element of arduous uh, journey uh, the, the sort of martial elements there these archetypes support the release of aggressive feelings in safe therapeutic contexts Mars Uranus. Groff discovered that there is a finite amount of aggression in the individual psyche and that full expression of these energies can permanently decrease or eliminate the effects of those energies in everyday life. And then I just briefly summarize in each one of these chapters the insights from uh, psychedelic and holotropic states under each of the transit combinations. <clears throat> 
Parnas found that these archetypes bring dynamic excitement to healing sessions, helping people's emotional and energetic material to explode outward with greater force and speed. It is essential, as always, that they stay lying down on their mats facing the material rather than attempting to turn away from the process or acting out in the situation around them. I'm, talk, I'm talking there about the Groff internalized set where people agree to stay lying down. I know in ayahuasca ceremony, sometimes people uh, sit up. It's, I, I, you know, this is debatable, but in my experience and people that I, I trust's experience, you can, you can more effectively release any emotion when you're in the lying down position. It's a safer, more effective position for experiencing raging aggression or crying or fear or joy. And uh, it's much safer uh, to stay lying down on your back. Uh, so that's the way that Groff did it, his work with his patients and also in the holotropic breathwork. But I know that some people do sit up. If you are walking around, then that is like a whole other level of potential avoidance of the material. Sitting is kind of in between, but it's also quite safe and uh, effective. But if people stand up, it, you're already starting to leave your psyche, you know, in my experience. Anyway. Well, thank you. I don't, you probably don't want me to read all these triads. I no, let's, let's skip that part. But, um, okay. but I think, you know, and again, to the listener, this is just one planetary pair. And, you know, every single planetary pair, Sun through Pluto, is covered here. And, uh, and that, that's actually, that's not extraordinary. That's typical. You know, you, you know, you go so deep and you cover so thoroughly all these planetary pairs. I just was just amazed as I was reading it, how deep you went and how many rich examples there were. And I also appreciated, you know, that's really good writing. You know, the, the, you've got lots of vivid, you know, adjectives and nouns and it's just gripping. And I'll just put in a plug, you know, if, if someone is just still learning the archetypes, you know, you know, you open the book after the intro section with just a description of each individual planet, which is fantastic individual planet descriptions, and then you get into the combinations of two and three. And I believe if someone really wanted to get their archetypes down, I, I've never seen anything more comprehensive than what you've got here. In terms of oh, how, thank you, yeah, thank you very much. And and you know, you you acknowledge you're resting on the shoulders of, you know, um, Kosi, you know, the Eberton book as well as, you know, planets in transit, but it's, to me, you've added all these new levels to it, and I just am amazed and delighted that this amazing reference is here. I was, I got all sorts of new ideas reading through this stuff that I was, you know, had never thought about before, so yeah. it was a big mind expander for me, and I've been, I've done over 7,000 astrology sessions, you know? <laughs> oh, well, that's a real, real endorsement. Uh, thank you so much. You know, I owe to Everteen mostly the structure of the book. Okay. And the, and the sort of concise, succinct, uh, elemental, you know, organismic uh, precision of his, dis, of his uh, descriptions. You know, and the fact that you could, you could have a sociological correspondence, biological correspondence. He was writing in the 30s. And at that time, they still believed, I'm sure, that that these things w would eventually 
if you if you did enough research, you would be able to predict every kind of medical problem and every kind of sociological problem. There's nothing in his writing that suggests that he's saying these are just some of the possible range, right? So we, we've come quite a long ways in our sense of, you know, astrology. You you bring this up later, but I'll, I'll just mention it now. As Rick says, astrology is is archetypally predictive, not concretely predictive. So we can predict a range of themes that, that tend to uh, accompany various planetary transits and aspects. There's like a range of positive and shadow themes with every combination of two planetary energies. And we, but we never can know for sure how the energies will turn out in the concrete world, what the specific concrete manifestations will be. There are other factors such as our free will, uh, our cultural context, yang energies here are celebrated in a female, like Sun, Mars, and so on. But in maybe Saudi Arabia, uh, they might be seen as kind of a negative influence. Right. The woman's too independent or too feisty or something, you know. I mean, uh, I don't want to single out the, the Saudi culture, but uh, I think you get the drift. Yeah. Um, also, um, whether we are doing sessions or not. Some of these things, you know, by doing deep inner work, we can really help to turn a lot of these energies toward their more positive forms. So anyways, Ebertine was still writing at a time when I think there was a lot of uh, optimism and confidence in the astrology community that eventually you, you would have like a treasure map and you would always know exactly what the manifestation would be if you just had enough information. But that's, that's not the way the universe seems to be set up. So the, the main influences, of course, were Tarnas and then uh, Robert Hand and then many other people. I was reluctant to name other people because I knew I would leave people out. <laughs> and there were a lot of brilliant astrologers out there. And I mean, that, you know, I haven't read. So, uh, you know, it just would be unfair. I just had to single out Robert Hand. And I don't think anyone should be insulted by that. I mean, his planets in transit really is a classic. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Now, I know that a lot of astrologers include Chiron in their charts as a routine planet. And, you know, especially since, you know, your, your theme is healing. You know, it is the planet that, at least in my opinion, is the most you know, evocative of that. I'm just curious, why did you not put Chiron in? Oh, yeah, yeah that's a really good question. Well, there are several reasons. Um, Rick's feeling was that he wanted to focus on the planetary body, so that would be the sun, moon, luminaries, and the eight planets, because they have had the most amount of consensual validation. They've been studied the longest for the longest amount of time, the most amount of people. Um, it, we've had a lot of brilliant people looking at these for many, many decades or centuries, and there's a pretty good consensus of what they mean. Um, Chiron was more recently discovered. Um, we know that at least two of the planets, well, two of the planets in the, the sort of main pantheon of astrology were misnamed. I mean, Uranus was misnamed, 
this is Rick's thesis in Prometheus the Awakener. Uranus bears, in its astrological effects, bears no resemblance to the Greek god Uranus. Uranus was a, a sky god. He was a tyrant figure. And uh, Zeus had to trick him or he would have been, uh, he would have lost his life or, or um, I, I can't remember if it was Zeus, sorry, um, but Zeus or Saturn had to trick him or they would have lost, I think it was Saturn who, who tricked him. Whereas Uranus, on the other hand, you know, is the rebel. It's the one who does the rebelling, whereas Uranus is the tyrant, the one that has to be rebelled against. I think you just and meant that Prometheus Neptune is a rebel, right? was also misnamed, other than the sort of formal element of water, the right. sort of connection with the watery realm. Uh, Poseidon uh, slash Neptune, Poseidon was the Greek name for Neptune, is, a, is a, the brother of Zeus. He's essentially a raging sky god or thunder god like Zeus, but he is in a denizen of the ocean. So he was about storms and ocean uh, winds and waves, and the whole Odyssey book is about the problem of getting on the bad side of Neptune, the, the, the problem that these storms cause. N Neptune in astrology is serene and peaceful. And uh, there are some shadow sides associated with it, of course, but they don't resemble in any way the mythological Neptune. I heard this very discussion that I just shared with you uh, from Richard Tarnas and Rob Hand as we were driving to have Mexican food in Big Sur in 1980. Okay, so I was very impressed with that. So a better name would be uh, uh, Maya, uh, so some element or or uh, um, uh, oh, I can't remember. I'm just getting a mental block here. These this one needs to be renamed too. So um, the point I'm making is that if those could be misnamed, then so could any of these newer bodies that are being given names pretty quickly like who's naming them there's just 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 bear in mind when you're working with a, a new planetary body or a newer the the effects of this in the chart might not correspond to the mythological name because we've got two examples already where it's definitely they were they, they don't fit um another thing is um I think that the sort of standard meanings of Chiron are already covered in combinations of Saturn and Uranus. You know, I know Chiron is between Saturn and Uranus, but, you know, Saturn-Uranus aspects or transits seem to cover sort of some of the major themes that people attribute to uh, Chiron. Um, I, I, will, I will concede that, you know, it's possible that archetypal astrologers will integrate Chiron more in the future, and some may do that now. Okay, I mean we have to approach this as scientists, right? And so that could happen, but uh, I, I think Chiron was a relatively minor figure in Greek mythology. You know, not as important as like Zeus and, and Venus and and uh, you know Mars and so on. Um, and then one final point, and I hope I'm not uh, going on too much, but the whole idea of the wounded healer, uh, Groff brought this up once in a talk. 
what's so great about a wounded healer? Like, wouldn't you want to have a healed healer? You know, so it's just in terms of it being such a, a valuable energy somehow to integrate, it seems kind of like it's an incomplete. I mean, we all start wounded and it, it can be the uh, kind of the stick behind us that forces us to grow and to heal. But at a certain point, we should have some healing at least in our life. And, and I don't know if being a wounded healer is such a admirable uh, thing, but th those are just some of my thoughts about it. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I, I do know that, you know, I've heard podcasts where people focus almost exclusively on Chiron, no matter whatever in the future Chiron's place is in the head table of the astrological archetypes. I know that it won't be more important than, you know, sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, and the rest maybe maybe equally important at the most. But you know, these this exaggerated focus, there seems to be an emphasis in the new age and in the astrological world, it's one of our, our shadow qualities is every new thing is this sensation and people jump on the bandwagon, you know? Um, and uh, it, it just takes a little time before things even out and the, the sort of proper sort of uh, strength is acknowledged. Yeah. I understand. So you, you said something earlier I wanted to follow up on, which was a new idea to me. You said that world transits affect us <clears throat> just as strongly as personal transits. And that had been contrary to what I'd been thinking. I thought, well, let's say, for example, um, the like the Pluto-Uranus square that we've been having earlier in the decade and that still has traces of. You know, my premise would be if that was lining up on someone's sun, they would feel that a whole lot more than if that same Pluto-Uranus square is not hitting anything in their chart by conjunction, opposition, or square. So I'm, I'm a little puzzled as to how a person can be as strongly affected by something if it isn't aligning with something important in the natal chart. Right. And, and that's how we were all taught. And, you know, up until about five years ago, I still was not recognizing the full importance of world transits. Rick has discovered this. And the reason he has, or the way he has, is because in archetypal astrology, birth time is much less important. The houses are less important to us than the aspects and transits themselves. And it's we don't need to have an exact birth time. So, for example, when he looked at the 60s, he didn't have to have an exact birth time for the 60s. Like, like when, when did the 60s start and, and where? And a lot of astrologers wouldn't be able to look at any kind of world events because they would have to go, well, where is it happening and what time did it start? Otherwise, I've got no house, houses right. to use. But the 60s happened from 1960 to 72. This is the way cultural historians uh, agree and talk about it. And Rick shows that with an expanded orb, uh, allowable range from the exact alignment, that the Uranus and Pluto were conjunct in the sky from 1960 to 72. So that's with a, using a 15-degree orb. It's stronger when it's within 10 degrees. So with that little addition and then not... Um, being tied to 
the house systems or birth time, he was able to do wide-ranging study of these outer planet cycles in history in a way that no one else has been able to do or has done systematically. And um, so I think that that's one of the reasons why we're just realizing the importance of world transits. I mean, if you went back to 1969 and you, and you, uh, you went to Woodstock, you know, July 1969, I believe it was. Everyone there would be in the Uranus-Pluto conjunction. Right. Whether that was hitting their sun, their moon, their Mercury, or angles, or anything, they're getting that Uranus-Pluto big time. Yeah. You can see it in their faces. And, you know, the same thing with Saturn-Pluto alignments, Uranus-Neptune alignments, like from 1985 to 2003. So the, the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the planets in our own personal chart that some, that those world transits would hit would refract or reflect or modify, you know, the, the energies in certain ways, but we are always having, you know, the, under the influence of them per se, you know, our psyches are, essentially the world psyche you know there's an individual level of our psyche and then there's the collective unconscious and the collective unconscious is what world transits are really focusing on but that's the that's the ground that are the the plants of our consciousness are are planted in you know we are being fed by those universal energies that are in effect that are that correlate to world transit so they're a part of us as well and uh yeah okay thank you that's a beautiful answer um now earlier in this interview i mentioned your first book pathways to wholeness archetypal astrology and the transpersonal journey and glancing at both tables of contents would seem to indicate a lot of overlapping material i'm just curious what are the key similarities and differences between your two books yeah. Um, the first book, um, Pathways to Wholeness, has as it, at its core uh, session reports from psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy sessions, uh, some medicine journey sessions, and holotropic breathwork sessions. That's the main sort of data in the book. And I, I you know, I, I talk about say with Jupiter Pluto transits, uh, how it might manifest in everyday life, um, sort of a range of positive and negative effects. And then in that first book, I talk about if people do deep self-exploration, like holotropic breathwork or psychic responsible use of psychedelics, what are the kind of biographical themes that are like likely to surface? So memories and issues from infancy to the present. Then I also talk about perinatal experiences. What part of the perinatal uh, part of the unconscious is more likely to surface under Jupiter-Pluto transits? And that, of course, would be the, the dynamic stage of labor, the death-rebirth process, Groff's BPM-3, as, as Tarnas uh, discovered. And then some of the some of the transpersonal experiences that could surface in sessions under Jupiter-Pluto transits. So, so that's how that book was uh, structured. The, the kind of core of the second book, or one of the cores, are, are dreams, rather. 
is dreams. So rather than psychedelic sessions, I'm, I'm looking at dreams. You know, I'd always been interested in dreams and I'd collected a lot over the years. And you know, I, when I was working on this part of the book, Benjamin, I had transiting Neptune, trinatal Neptune. You know, it's just so perfect for, like I was, I was having dreams and waking up and then re- remembering what the transits were right now and then making the correlations and thinking about it but by the time I was fully awake. You know, it was just flowing so beautifully. There was also a Saturn-Neptune square in the sky. Not, not the easiest world transit, but that sort of fit the, the structured, systematic nature of that work. And then I was collecting the dreams. So that would be one of the, the differences. And then this focus on triads, combinations of three planetary archetypes, um, you know, it, it took a lot of work to collect all this. And I, I had, uh, I have quotes sort of spiced throughout these sections, for example, of people that have all three of those planets in alignment with each other. Mm. You know, like a, a T-square or a grand trine or, or something like that. And in my view, th- this is a quote that... Uh, illustrates all three of the planetary archetypes. So, uh, so that's, that's uh, one, of, one of the other elements to it. I also included here summaries of my research in music and in film and actors and art. Um, I, I reviewed over 600 movies astrologically. Whoa. Notes, you know, took notes and looked at the director's charts and the actor's charts, read through a number of books on, on actors and directors. And uh, I, I, you know, I would love to be able to write one or two books just on movies in the future. Um, if any publisher hears this, I just need to get rights to photographs. You know, you can't have a movie book without photographs. So that's, that's the main impediment there. But in this book, I include the, uh, a summary of that research. I just, I really do love movies and that's an important part of this book too. Wow. That's just, so how many, how, if you were to guess how many like famous people's charts have you studied? Well, I started out by going through uh, uh, the circle book of charts. You remember that classic? Uh-huh. And, and then there was the American book of charts and then, Lois Rodden sent me her only existing copy of, um, it was a book of profiles of women. She actually mailed me her last existing copy of that. And I went through all of that and there were hundreds and hundreds in, in each of those three. And so I went through them one by one and everything I knew about that person or looked things up and I just looked at all the aspects you know, in their chart and then just kept notes of everything as I went. And then, you know, hundreds and hundreds of uh, friends, family and clients. um, And, uh, and then many other actors and directors, newer ones that weren't in books, you know, kind of systematically. Sounds like you've done thousands and thousands of charts. Well, I'm a very nerdy person. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely got the sense that there was a ton of information that was not in this book that it, it just couldn't accommodate that much data. Is what I got the sense of. <laughs> yeah, but 
I mean, it, it fulfilled my nerdy kind of workaholic side, you know, most of the time I would have just rather been writing than doing anything else, you know, but it, but I was, I felt like I was stealing fire at all times as well. Like it was, I was in a state of excitement at all times. Like when I, anytime I'm doing astrology, I feel excited and, and finding new correlations is among the funnest of all things, you know, looking at a chart, you know, like when I saw that Lady Gaga had transiting Pluto conjunct her natal sun when she did the video um, Bad Romance. I don't know if we talked about that last time. Maybe we did. but And then that, that, that became the second most popular video of all time, the Bad Romance. If people haven't seen that, go, go check that out. Pluto conjunct her natal sun by transit. Uh, or, or sorry, square transiting Pluto from early Capricorn square her natal sun in early Aries, and you know she was pretty. All of her videos tend to be kind of sexual, or a lot of them do. But all of a sudden, it just was like this explosion, and it had all of the major BPM three themes that Stan Groff talked about that we know are connected with Pluto. You know, there's aggression, sadomasochism, sort of demonic energies sort of scatological like the the sort of uh all the soot and dirt at the very last shot and then fire like in a major way this purifying fire so that's that's pretty interesting pluto sun yeah and and then madonna had pluto aligned with her sun and mars and uranus by transit when she did like a prayer that video with that also has fire and sexual elements and aggression and so on. And then Billy Joel had a Pluto to his natal sun transit. Um, when he did, uh, we didn't start the fire video. Oh. Check out all three of those videos, somebody. So every, all three of them had Pluto trans transiting to their natal sun. And you see the similarities in those three videos. It, and I remember Rick had talked about uh, Igor Stravinsky had transiting Pluto conjunct his natal sun when he uh, composed and, and they first produced Rite of Spring. I believe it was around 1912 or something like that. And there were riots in uh, concert halls across Europe because it was so Dionysian and intense. Mm. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so th this is just the kind of fun things that, that we can we can do as astrologers. <laughs> wow. I love looking at new people. Like some of my younger friends turn me on to new actors or new comedians on Saturday night live. And I'm always really happy to try to guess their charts and then go look at it and stuff. Wow. This is so fascinating. Well, I've pretty well run through my questions here, but is there any, any additional information you'd like to share relating to the book or, or things that you think would be helpful to the listeners before we move toward closure here? Um, well, I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your, your work as well. And um, I, I, I can just see the incredible amount of work that you've done and the production values of your, your talks and your um, presentations are, are really impressive. Um, I, I have a website. It's, uh, you know, www.renbutler.com. That's R E N N 
butler.com. I have a, um, an occasional newsletter. If you want to keep in touch, you can subscribe to my newsletter on my homepage. I'm doing consultations. I'm happy to give discounts for students. Um, and um, I'll be doing kind of regular classes now where I'll be showing slideshows with each of these planetary pairs of the actors and directors and uh, uh, musicians and philosophers and writers that have them and have the different aspects like Mars Uranus, for example, and, and to kind of make it come alive. And we're also, uh, I'm starting to do a series of um, retreats, which will combine holotropic breathwork sessions and archetypal astrology slideshows. So astrology and breathwork. We did one up here uh, in Vancouver Island in August. We'll be doing a couple more next summer up here. And Becca Tarnas, a brilliant young um, archetypal astrologer, and I are talking about doing a a breathwork and astrology retreat in Mexico in February. So if if people are interested in that, uh, we'd be really honored to have you come participate in, in, in a, we'll find a beautiful place in Mexico. I'm looking right now. Well, that sounds just amazing. Oh, I had a a small technical question. Um, Let's say an astrologer like me was writing forecasts and they've got your book and they say, Oh my God, I want to, here's these two planets. I'd love to just, pull some of these keywords out of the archetypal universe and use them in my forecast. Would you be comfortable with people doing that? Would you want to be credited? You know, if a person used, you know, enough of those that it was obvious that it'd come out of your book. I don't mind if people use a few, uh, if you want to use many, I wouldn't mind being credited, but go ahead and use them. But I wouldn't mind if, if people mentioned my name once in a while, that, that would be fair. Um, you know, but you know, the, we, I want, like you, I want astrology to spread and take root in the mainstream culture and, you know, help people. So I'm certainly not trying to keep this a secret or anything like that. Feel free to, you know, uh, refer to it as, as often as you want. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually, uh, I just finished my forecast for the first half of October and I did use some of your keywords and I did put a credit to you in there in the forecast. So, well, thank you very much. You know, you don't have to do that every single time with (laughs) one or two, but you know, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. You know, as I've tried, I've tried to do with Rick Tarnas, you know, every time I remember him saying something, I, I, I put it in quotes and, or mention his name, but also all the major ideas I always credit him mention. And, and we didn't specifically mention his, his masterpiece, which is Cosmos and Psyche. And that's his book on the outer planet, you know, major transits and their effect on human history. And it is like the masterwork of how astrology affects history. So uh, just a plug in for that too. Yeah, and, and it's like as as I was mentioning, he really shows how just using outer planet alignments, you can illuminate cycles in history in a way that hasn't been done before. It's quite remarkable. You just have to expand the orbs a little bit, he found. And, um, I mean, in other words, he, he discovered that these things do operate with expanded orbs. And then you just try to try to temporarily put aside the addiction to houses and also signs. They would be seen as adjectives or adverbs, 
a more secondary symbol system in astrology. I'm just talking about the archetypal astrology approach. Right. And uh, the, the core meanings come from the aspects and transits themselves. And you would add in the sign and house information as it either confirms or modifies the basic meanings of the planets themselves. So that that's what he was able to do. Now, it's a fairly crunchy, erudite, intellectual read. It won't appeal to everybody. So the one I would recommend even more for people new to his work is uh, Prometheus the Awakener. That's a nice short little book. Uh, you could get it quite inexpensively on Amazon. And he's talking about Uranus aspects. And uh, it's just really summarizes the key approach of archetypal astrology. You know, how Uranus Mercury can liberates the mind. Uranus Mars liberates the energy and passion and speed. And Uranus uh, Sun, the sense of selfhood, the creative vitality, self-expression, and, and so on. Yeah. Wow, beautiful. Thank you. So anything further before I make my closing comments here? Nope. Thanks again. Yeah. Have a happy equinox to you, Benjamin, and to everyone. I mean, we're still in the equinox week, right? And uh, congratulations to those in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I look forward to uh, talking again soon, and uh, I wish everybody uh, a wonderful winter. Thank you. And uh, again, I want to mention one last time that uh, if you want to hear more of my interviews with Ren, Again, we did that on, you go to thisweekinastrology.blogspot.com, part one of our conversation about his prior book, Pathways to Wholeness, which is, all, which is also amazing, is episode 383, September 29, 2014, and then part two of that interview is episode 385, November 1st, 2014. So go check that out if you find this fascinating. That will be really cool too. All right. So thank you so much, Ren, for, for being on the show. I'm so honored to have hosted you again. And uh, I want to have you on again whenever the next book comes out. Thank you. And you're welcome. And, uh, you know, we didn't even get a chance to talk about uh, Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court nominee. I was talking about that in my class today, but it'd be oh. an interesting thing to look at. Some of the per perinatal themes that that many young men act out in a really negative, unconscious way um, under the influence of alcohol and, and hurt really damage women, um, uh, not only young men. So it's interesting to, to see his, his natal chart in that regard, but maybe that could be a topic for a, another one. Yeah, absolutely. This, allegedly, I must add that, but I she she came across as so believable, and I, I certainly believed her. So yeah. Okay. Well, thank you again. Uh, thank you for doing such amazing work and for helping all of us into astrology to uh, to go so much deeper. You're welcome. Thank you. Living a harmonious life can be difficult, especially these days when things are moving so fast. You'd think that those of us committed to personal and spiritual growth would have it easier, but sometimes it seems as if our lofty aspirations cause us to face even greater challenges. Fortunately, you have a map to guide you, your astrology chart. 
It can reveal a wealth of information about your soul purpose, your optimal career, and your ideal romantic partner. Spirituality, timing, relocation, your chart, when interpreted by an insightful, experienced astrologer, can provide helpful insights into every area of life. And since the moving planets keep activating different parts of your chart, getting astrology updates at least once a year can help you keep focused on what's important now. But astrology is only the beginning here at Astro Shaman. We also offer shamanic healing, which can reduce or eliminate physical, emotional, and mental issues. Your shamanic healing session will also equip you with simple, powerful techniques you can use on your own to help you take your healing and spiritual awakening to the next level. We also offer other services to help improve your life, including awakening activation, electional astrology, mentoring, and more. All are equally effective in person or by phone or Skype. A digital recording of your session is included, and my guarantee makes it risk-free. If you don't feel that your experience was helpful, it's free. To learn more, visit astroshaman.com. I love my work, and I look forward to helping you. We're wrapping up this episode. This Week in Astrology is honored, as I mentioned earlier, to be chosen by Feedspot as one of the Internet's top 10 astrology podcasts. Check out our website, where you can hear the show and subscribe to podcast updates. You can also do a single sign-up for two great opportunities, chances to win a free consultation and have your chart interpreted on the show. You can also donate to support us. Go to thisweekinastrology.com. From there, you'll be automatically redirected to the This Week in Astrology area of astroshaman.com. You can listen to This Week in Astrology on your smartphone or tablet at stitcher.com, and if you're an iTunes user, please subscribe to us there. Thanks again for listening to This Week in Astrology. I wish you infinite blessings as the stars light your way. This Week in Astrology is copyright 2018 by Astro Shaman. All rights reserved, although enthusiastic sharing is encouraged. You can access our free comprehensive audio archive from thisweekinastrology.com. If you'd like me to illustrate the weekly forecast with your chart, please send me your date, time, and city of birth. This also gives you a chance to win a free session with me every month. I welcome your personal questions for my live listener consultation segments. I also welcome your general astrology questions and feedback. Just email info at astroshaman.com. I look forward to making you a part of This Week in Astrology. Here's the index. The overview begins at 1 minute 20 seconds. October 17, 205. The 19th, 304. The 20th, 342. The 22nd, 401. The 23rd, 439. The 24th, 544. The 25th, 1037. The 26th, 1140. The 27th, 1241. The 28th, 1301. The 29th, 1348. The 30th, 1647, the 31st, 1710, next show's highlights, 1810, announcements, 2029, and part two of our interview with Ren Butler, 2151. Thank you so much for listening to This Week in Astrology.